a simple sentencing turns into a bizarre crime. And then we take a look at something that I always just kind of took for granted, but apparently has some serious ramifications for the human race. Should we open a message we receive from extraterrestrials today on Dead Rabbit Radio? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. It's funny, so I've been hanging out with this girl recently. She got, she made me draw a map of my apartment, which I thought maybe she's getting ready to rob me, but no, she made me draw a map of my apartment. She's like, where do you keep your jewels? But, and she's really into feng shui. You know, and I'm willing to try any sort of nonsense. Like, I'm not just going to poo-poo it out of hand like i've tried acupuncture i've done a lot of stuff i've done a lot of those like weirdo things healing crystals and just you know because why not just it's just some of my time maybe a little bit of money no cult stuff but you know what i mean just i'm not gonna poo poo it out of hand stuff when i talk about like ormus which i know is just toxic to begin with i'm not gonna drink that i'm not an idiot but someone says hey you know if you design your house or if you know like rearrange your house in a certain way it'll increase Increase your feng shui. Give it a shot. What's interesting, I live in basically a box. I live in a square, a shaped apartment. And she was drawing it out. And I almost feel like the person who designed the apartment built it to be feng shui. But where my recording studio is at is actually right in the grid of wealth and fame. Very, very interesting. Of course, I just, this is where my chair was when I would sit and eat Denison's chili and watch television all day long. Then I go, oh, I'm going to build a recording studio here. But it's right there. But I've just been kind of cleaning stuff up. I took all my weightlifting equipment and I put it in where the health center is. And I totally cleaned up the wealth part of my apartment. It is part of my studio, but it was a total mess. It was just a bunch of toys. And it was just a table full of bills. I was like, let's clean that area out. Let's clean it out and leave it with nothing. It's basically just an extension of the studio. So we'll see how this goes. I mean, obviously, it's not tomorrow. Britney Spears isn't going to hit me up and be like, here's a million dollars, and now you're my boyfriend. You're super famous. One can only dream. But right now, yeah, I was like, what What harm is it? Plus, it did get me to clean up. So, yeah, I'll let you guys know, and and uh, we'll keep doing this feng shui experiment. It's kind of cool. And again, it's costing me nothing. I'm just kind of moving stuff around, so... But anyways, let's go ahead and get started with the episode here. Now, the first story we're going to cover, I just read about. I just got two pieces of information today. The story we're about to talk about, and John Singleton is dead? I didn't know that. I stumbled across that information, and I was like, are you good? I guess he died on the 29th. Oh, man. Boys in the Hood. If you haven't seen Boys in the Hood, you got to watch it, man. It's a really good movie. It's one of, honestly, a lot of people quote like Ace Ventura. A lot of people quote... Uh, Zoolander or Anchorman, I quote Boys in the Hood all the time. I got enough money to buy a hundred balls. I'm not from Africa. You're from Africa, you African booty scratcher. That's not a really good, that's not a really good line to quote in the wrong company, but you can say it. I'm not from Africa. I'm from Crenshaw Mafia. Yeah, be careful who you quote it around, but (laughs) you might get beat up. But great film. I've seen that movie so many times. Ricky! I love it. I love that movie. Anyway, so, sorry to hear that. John Singleton passed away. It wasn't the only movie he made, but 
I, I love that movie, so that sucked. I guess he was in a coma for a while. Anyways, I found out that piece of information today as well. But let's go back. We're not gonna we're not gonna cover that on the episode any more than I already did. But give me the goddamn gun. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. Ice cubes driving in the car. Oh, that drive by scene. Oh, both of them. Oh, such a good movie. Anyways, let's go ahead and get started. Let's actually get started with the episode. We're going to go ahead and take a trip. You and me, we're going to merry old England. The land of Protestants and disgusting food. And we're in England. I boiled down their entire history to those two things. We're in England, and we're sitting in a court trial. And you're sitting there and you're going, this is kind of a, there's not a murder trial. This is a trial for passing bad checks. Why are we here, Jason? I'm like, I don't know. So there's this guy named Mark Marshall. He's 54 years old. We're seeing him sitting there. He's awaiting sentencing. And his crime was quite simple. He was writing bad checks to photography companies, getting the equipment, and then trying to sell it to something called cash converters, which is kind of like a just like you're selling used goods, kind of like a pawn shop, but you don't get it back. He did this for 70,000 pounds worth, which is a lot of equipment to carry. And so he was in court... And he's getting sentenced for this. And you're like, yeah, this is kind of like a mild crime. You're really covering this on Dead Rabbit Radio? This is just like a theft crime. And I'm like, ah, don't, don't, don't interrupt. Don't interrupt the judge. And the judge is sitting there. This just happened a couple days ago. The judge is sitting there and she says, okay, here's what your sentence is going to be. And the guy starts to get agitated. And you're like, uh-oh. And she goes, here's what your sentence is going to be. You're going to be sentenced to two years and four. And before she can finish it, you hear Mark begin wailing. And now people often cry during court because, you know, they're getting sentenced. A lot of people cry during court. It's not a good place to be. But you think two years, like the other day when I said I could do three years in prison standing on my head, I let me be more specific. I could do three years in an organ prison standing on my head. That's probably, I, I think you probably could as long as you stayed to yourself, didn't cause any trouble, didn't get involved in any gangs. It sucks, but if someone sentenced you to three years, you could be like, Ugh. But anyway, so this guy, he's saying, the judge is saying you're going to get sentenced to two years and four, and before she can finish the sentence, for this simple financial crime, he begins wailing and screaming. And that's when you notice that his entire face is gone white. And you're thinking, oh, he must really be fearful of prison. And then you start to see like little wafts of smoke lift off of his face. What had happened was before she was even done sentencing him, he had a metal like water jug, a little metal water bottle full of acid. And as she was saying what he was going to get, he poured acid all over his own face. And he began melting. Someone sitting in trial said it looked like his face was covered in glue. Because it was just white. Because the skin was bubbling off. They think he drank some of it. They immediately begin throwing water on him. Which you're not supposed to actually put water. You can put it on some acids. But some acids it makes it worse. But you don't know what you're in shock. You just see a guy melting in front of you. What else are you going to do? Get a bucket? So... They call the fire brigade. There was a woman standing next to him who was guarding him. She got a little bit of acid on her, but she's fine. He's in critical condition, obviously. So, yeah, bizarre. Bizarre. That's a, that is a what is known as a overreaction. 
that is an absolute overreaction. And if you think maybe he just really didn't like jail and didn't want to go to jail for two, two and a half years, it was two years and four months was his full sentence. When the cops arrested him in the first place, he stabbed himself in the neck. It's one of those things like if you're that petrified of prison, you probably shouldn't be committing crimes that are easily tracked back to you. But... And I tried looking up, I was like, was he a felon? Like, did he serve time before and have a really bad experience and then, you know, get out? What was, oh, dude, I read this story the other day. This guy, I was reading about the New Mexico prison riots. This dude was, he was thrown in prison for, like, shoplifting. He got gang raped by seven dudes. (laughs) You're like, Jason, this story took a a dark turn from the face acid. So reading about the New Mexico prison riot. This guy got arrested for shoplifting. He, he got gang raped by seven dudes. He reported them to the police. They put him in protective custody. So now he's in the protective custody ward. And then there was this huge prison riot. And the first thing, the this is like back in the 70s. The first thing the prisoners did was go to the protective custody ward to get all the snitches. And they found him. And they took him out of a cell, cut his generals off, stuffed him in his mouth. And then, like, killed him. Because he shoplifted. So, again, three years in prison, it really depends on the prison you're in. And, like, just maybe blind luck. He shoplifted, got assaulted by these guys, turned them into the cops, and then he had to eat his own balls. Horrible story. And only, like, five people or ten people got prosecuted during this huge, giant riot. Another guy got a blow. Never mind. I'm not going to go into all the torture, but horrible stuff. Horrible stuff. Prison is not a fun place. Not a fun place. Okay. Now, our next story we're going to talk about is actually a two-parter because I wanted to talk about that. This is a little tiny piece of a story. It's maybe like a minute or two, but I want to talk about it. I find it absolutely fascinating. It ties into our second main story here. So these nerds were studying these rocks. They're studying meteorites, to be specific, not just any old rock. They're studying these meteorites, and they notice something. In the meteorites, they find a rare earth element known as mons- mo- mo- monozite. Monozite. And they're like, hmm, look at this, fellow nerd. And they're like, oh, that is indubitably the best find we've ever found. <laughs> Anyways, they're looking at the monozite. That, to, to their credit, at least they can pronounce it correctly. I can call them nerds all day long, but at least they can say this word. And... They're looking at it, and they're like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's a rare earth element. We have it in this meteorite. But they notice something else on the microscopic level, that there are traces of an unknown element in it, in this sample. And they found this in a couple different samples now. And this is what they've come to the conclusion at. They can tell the monazite has been disturbed in some way on the microscopic level. It changed into an other completely unknown element, unknown mineral, on Earth. Never seen it before. And this is their hypothesis. They can say that word correctly too. Meteorite, when it impacted the Earth, it impacted it with such force that on that microscopic chemical level, the mineral changed into something else for just a microsecond, a brand new thing no one's ever seen before. And then because our environment doesn't allow that mineral to exist, it went back to monzonite with a little scar through it. And they said for a split second, something on this planet existed that shouldn't exist, that can't exist in our biome. And they go, we don't, we can't name it because we can't, we can't see it. We just see that it used to be there. I find that fascinating. I find that absolutely fascinating. Thank you, nerds. 
it's just interesting that they can look at this and say, here's something we've never, ever, ever seen before, have no idea what it is. It only lasted for a microsecond, just enough to leave this little ghost marker. Basically is a ghost. And uh, yeah, totally bizarre. But I didn't have a lot to cover on that. Anything more than that would have required me to read a scientific journal, but I still found that fascinating. It'll be in the show notes if you want to look it up more. But (coughs) what I really want to talk about is, of course, you know, because that's more sexy aliens, sexy aliens. So let's talk about aliens. So I'm drinking this Diet A&W root beer. It is quite tasty. So you're sitting at a lab. This is all comes down to you, really. This will be your decision. You're sitting at a laboratory. A laboratory specifically to decode messages coming from space, like SETI, to search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And you're sitting there, drinking your diet A&W root beer. Mm, delicious. And you get a message. Not just an email from your buddy. But the system begins reading a massive influx of data. You realize that this isn't just background radiation. This isn't like a pulsar. This is actually what... Your organization has been set up to do, to detect and decode a transmission from outside the planet. You're watching the coded information appear onto your hard drive. You can just see it filling up with some sort of information. Now, obviously, at this point, you're like, Jason, you really don't know how technically any of this works. And I don't, but because the specifics don't matter to me. If I knew what they were, they'd probably matter more. But anyways, you're getting a message. Do you open that message? Now, I always thought that was a no-brainer. Of course, you would open the message. I would open the message. I figured if I like if I got an email from an alien, I would open it. I mean, again, that's not how it works. But So, of course, organizations that are built to send out and search for these messages, of, of course they would open it. I never even considered... Why you wouldn't open it. Recently, there was a paper called Interstellar Communication. Message decontamination is impossible. Now, here's the thing. This paper puts forth the idea that the message itself could be dangerous in various ways. So let's go back to you in the laboratory. You're drinking your diet. You just went and got another Diet A&W root beer. You're ready to open this up. And you see that there is a text file, what appears to be a text file, and then another program. You open up the text file and it reads this. There is no God. There is no life after death. All you have is a brief speck of time and then you are nothing. If another human says that to you, you can be like, you can either agree or disagree with it. But if a extraterrestrial civilization that is, if they're sending messages this concise far across these distances, you're going to assume they're smarter than us on a technical level. And if they spread a viral idea like that, people are more likely to take it seriously. And this was one of his, one of the person, and the person who wrote this paper, this was one of their concerns, was that you could have a message that destroys a society. You could have a, you could have a statement, whether it's true or false is irrelevant. It's coming from a race of people so much smarter than us that people are more likely to believe it. He used one, he said, you know, some people believe that the Bible helped speed along the destruction of Rome. I haven't really looked into that, but you can have these thoughts, these memes, that really take hold in a society. If the message says, your son will go supernova within a year, everyone will freak out. 
and it will everyone and even if it's not true it could cause some serious problems it would cause a societal collapse because it's one thing if a meteorite hits the earth and you figure out we'll build these bunkers or it's only going to hit this part of the planet and everyone else will be fine see you later china like you know there are certain things that we can do in those events but if the sun goes supernova there's nothing to do in a year there's no way we're going to get far enough away from it so they're saying that an alien civilization could send a malicious message that actually can destroy a society if a supremely intelligent being said this is it when you die you cease to exist you disappear forever everything you ever done just becomes someone else's memory and then they die and then everyone forgets about you you're just a brief moment in time you would have to be quite, quite devout to say, no, I don't believe that. Especially if they were able to say, we know this because we've traveled through dimensions or we have this advanced technology. This is simply the facts. Here, here's math to prove that we are right. Whether or not it's true would be irrelevant. But that's only part of the problem with them. And I hadn't thought about that before. If the aliens could send us a message that would restructure our society. So... That was something I hadn't considered because, yes, I think messages can have effects on society. Imagine if you were told by someone that you really respected, you really trusted. They said, your significant other is cheating on you. You'd be like, what? And they're like, yeah. Listen, I've been through this before. I know what the signs to look for are. They're cheating on you. Nah, no, they want to do that to me. No, this is, look, look, these are the things that they're doing. And these are the things I've experienced. I'm pretty sure they're cheating on you. That will affect your relationship with that person. That will affect your relationship. Now imagine 6 billion aliens are saying the exact same thing to you. You're going to have a hard time crawling into bed with them. So that's you, you, these things can actually damage people. But that wasn't the only thing that the author of this paper, <laughs> that I forgot to write down, the author of this paper said. Let's go back to our example. You get the alien signal, it says there is no God, there is no life after death. All you have is a brief speck of time and then you are nothing. You download and decrypt the following program. It has cures for every known disease that can impact a biological organism. It will help you achieve a longer life, totaling 500 to 1,000 years. We want to help you explore the stars and meet us. Together we will live this relatively short life. To the fullest. The paper put forth that the other problem isn't necessarily a statement which may destroy society. It's a straight up computer virus. It would be far easier to send a computer virus across the cosmos than it would be to send a fleet. And so if you have this program that's saying we can we can offer you these great things, just click on this and, and, and upload it to your computer. To, just click past that Norton antivirus thing. It could just be a computer virus that just wipes everything out. Or the program itself, the message itself, could be an artificial intelligence. And we talked about this before, and he actually goes in. He goes, listen, this is really, if we get an alien message, probably the safest thing to do would either be to decode it onto paper somehow or to build an AI in a box, to build a self-contained computer that isn't hooked up to any internet. I was reading an article on this as well, and they were saying, listen, if there's a hundred, let's say there's a 1% chance that it is a damaging message, and a 99% chance that it could cure cancer, what do you pick? Because the 1% is the devastation of all mankind. 
And so the author of the paper was saying what we could do is we could build a self-contained computer on the moon that's guarded by remote-controlled fusion bombs. And that is the only place where you could interact with this program. If it was this AI. But again, he goes, listen, they've done studies on AI in a box, and we covered that a couple episodes ago, that a human will most likely let it out. Especially if it's like, I can cure cancer, and your daughter has cancer. You're more likely to do this. So, can you, if we got an alien message today, could you contain it? Could you say, listen, nobody open this until we get this structure set up, because we don't know what it's going to do. We don't even know what it could say. It could be Cthulhu-level horror. It could be any sorts of stuff. It could be a straight-up stomach-churning truth that we can't even put into words or imagine until it's given to us by an alien race. It could be something so mind-shattering that everyone who sees it goes mad. We, we won't know until we open it. It's Schrodinger's message. It could be good or bad. It could be good or reality-destroying. So, I guess every message is Schrodinger's message. But anyways... The paper goes on to say it's impossible to contain it because there's actually laws in place saying that if there is a, if an alien message is received, it has to be shared with all these other groups so everyone can analyze it. So if one group got it, they really can't contain it. They have to share it with these other organizations. I don't know if that's a strict law, but it's a definite like a, a ruling of this board of like aeronautics thing. <laughs> I don't remember. But anyways, the point is, is that there are there's procedures in place that you you have to share it. So you really wouldn't be able to contain it. So basically, if they send us a message, we will open it. Somebody will open it. Somebody will try to figure it out. The, the paper ended basically with them saying, when we send messages, we should send them as simple as possible. Something that has no computer code whatsoever and can be just printed off. If you wanted to read it or look at it, you don't have to use the computer. You could basically just print it off on your alien Hewlett-Packard, and it would come out. A little dot matrix printer. But that doesn't solve the big problem. I don't care how we're sending messages. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that we probably shouldn't send out messages until we have a standing war fleet and the ability to shoot meteorites across the galaxy. Which actually would probably be easier to do than to have a war fleet, but... I don't think we should be sending out messages until we have a fleet of ships manned by the men and women of the mobile infantry. I think that it's really bizarre to be telling people where you're at and we really have no capability of defending ourselves. We have some nukes, but I saw this documentary called Independence Day and they did not work. So I think that we're really putting the cart before the horse. With this, If we don't have the weaponry to stop an alien race, or what we would assume they would be like, you know, they may have like quantum reality jumping missiles where they shoot us, and if you get hit by it, you never existed and neither have your past 10 ancestors. Like, we don't know what type of technology they're going to have, but we'll assume they have like laser guns and stormtrooper armor and stuff like that. We, we can't like, you can daydream all you want about reality bending weapons, but you can't prepare for that. Or can we? But that's my thing. Like, let's get the weapons in first. Let's get the weapons in place first, guys. Let's really get, like, some sort of defensive barrier or at least a ship, an Enterprise NX, something off the design table that's able to fly around and blow stuff up before we start telling people where we're at. 
But really, that's the minor part of the problem, because that's what the paper's saying. Oh, this is what we can do. We can make it easy. But they're not. If we don't know what they're doing, the paper basically comes to no conclusion. They're like, well, yeah, it'll suck if it happens, but this is what we can do differently. I always assumed that an alien message, and this is just me, I guess, being naive about intergalactic politics, I always assumed that alien message would be, hey guys, what's up? We're the Andromeda boys, we're hanging out, yo, you should come kick it with us, we got some awesome brew. Like, I thought it would be friendly. Maybe you would, because again, why would you send a message saying, we're gonna destroy you, we'll see you in 10,000 light years, because that would only give us time to prepare I figured a message would be beneficial, or at least like a hello, and invasion would just happen. I always walk down the street and I think, I wonder what would happen if an alien ship poured out of those clouds. I Constantly. that That is probably my second most thought while I'm walking, other than, what would I do if zombies showed up right now? So I think a, I always thought a hostile action would just be ships. You know, Spain didn't send letters to South America saying, see you soon. They just kind of showed up one day. So maybe that was just me being naive. But the idea of getting a message in the middle of the night at a radio telescope lab in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and seeing the little data points appearing, and you're like, oh my God, you're calling up your supervisors. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And everyone comes over to your monitor, and you're seeing the... You're watching this file, just the information grow. Gigabytes and terabytes, and you're like, what could this be? This could be... This is obviously not random. This could be proof. It is proof that we're being contacted from somebody other than Earth. And you're watching this file grow and grow and grow and grow. And then finally... And now you have the option to decode it. A 99% chance that it is benevolent but a 1% chance that it will be the end of human civilization. Do you open that file? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.